Welcome to Ulcerative Colitis Autoimmune Healing Journey. I am your journey guide, Jay India, and I am so happy that you found us and we are building this community where we are healing and learning together. So I'm so happy that you are here. This is episode 18, Anti-Inflammatory Diets for IBD Issues. Please note, I am not a doctor or health professional in any way. If you hear anything in this episode you would like to attempt, please consult a doctor or health professional. Also, I encourage you to check out my book. The link is in the show notes to my website. The book is the same name, Ulcerative Colitis Autoimmune Healing Journey. And why it's so useful, it's in PDF form. So you purchase it, you download it, you support this podcast. You have all of the information in book form. So it makes it a lot simpler because let's say you listened to an episode three weeks ago and you're talking to your friend and you're like, oh, she mentioned this herb, but I don't remember the name of the herb. Or she mentioned this doctor and I don't remember his name. This is a great way to just go into the book and do a search and find it and make it that easy for yourself. And then you have all of the information at your fingertips. Before starting today's episode, I just want to give a couple of notes. First is that everyone's diet with UC, with IBD, is individualized. As I've said in episode 17, you ask 17 people with IBD what their diet is, you're going to get 17 answers. Or you ask 400 people, you're going to get 400 answers, right? So I wanted to make sure today, before we start this, to tell you that certain things may resonate with you and certain things may not because maybe you're a vegan and I'm not talking about anything to do with veganism today. And you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, the carnivore diet, the paleo definitely doesn't resonate with me. I understand. Take from the episode what resonates with you and then you need to research it for yourself so you can put the power back into your own hands. I wanted to have an episode for popular diets for IBD and autoimmune disease in general before I get into my individualized diet in a later episode. These diets have a partial or full focus on reducing the inflammation in our body, whether we have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or even something like fibromyalgia. Inflammation is usually the culprit or one of the biggest contributors to the autoimmune disease. So at the end of the day, we always want everything to be anti-inflammatory. Beware of cult-like behavior around any diet, and I'm saying the word C-U-L-T, cult. I am active on Clubhouse, and I'm going to give you some examples. I go into these two rooms. I actually don't anymore, but I used to go into them because, you know, sometimes you get some good advice, right? So I went into this one room, And the lead moderator was talking about how he has old poo left in his system from years ago. He's trying to get out. I've never heard of anything like that. I I don't think it's medically possible. Please, you know, DM me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's medically possible to have old poo from 15 years ago you're trying to get out of your body. And yes, maybe it takes several days to get that feces out of your body. And I understand the Ayurvedic principle of it going to the seven layers of the body. So it stays in your body for a while. And of course, you know, the way I was eating when I was younger, obviously contributed to my UC. So I understand all that. But to have literal old feces from years ago in the body, I'm not sure I subscribe to that theory 
the person was also saying that they now have a small tummy because they were eating too much of this or that. And this person is stick then, does not have an ounce of fat on their body. So I don't know, when I listen to this room, I'm thinking, am I listening to good advice or am I listening to people with eating disorders? I have no idea. Number two, I went into this room, completely different room, and these people that I could tell did not have any sort of uh, medical, functional medicine, or even holistic background. And they were telling people what to take out of their diets. I couldn't believe it. This woman went on stage and she's like, oh, I've been really constipated. And they're like, okay, take out rice, take out quinoa, take out this. I'm like, how can you just tell people without knowing their medical background just to take things out? And the fact that this woman was just listening to them blindly, I hope to God she researched and went with her intuition and saw a medical professional because you can't just do that. You don't know who you're dealing with. To me, that's a little crazy. So the warning on these type of cult-like diet behaviors to me are, number one, they dispute Western medicine. You see that a lot, which I do not agree with. Number two, they're always selling something, always. They're always selling their supplements or their CBD or their this or their that. And, you know, the other thing you have to really concern yourself with is, and by the way, I've been there. I've been there many times. What I'm about to say, when you are lost, frustrated, confused, and don't know where to turn, it's easy to get wrapped up in these groups. And I understand it because sometimes they speak to you and they say information that you're like, wow, oh my God, I never thought of that. That's fascinating. And I have to say, you guys, almost every time I've taken a note from one of these groups and I've looked it up, there's something not right. Like they've recommended something and it's just not right or it's some type of food that's hard to get or their supplement is really weird and I wouldn't trust it. So just be careful. I'm not including vegan, plant-based or gluten-free diets today because they are more of a lifestyle to me. And I want to do separate episodes on each of them or one larger episode and encompass all of them. I do not subscribe to any one diet. My diet changes. So I focus on an at the present moment perspective. Good example was I had chocolate several days ago. I think I said this in episode 17, but pardon me if I repeat myself. Six months ago, if I had some chocolate, I would have been in the bathroom five minutes later It was a total laxative for me, and now I'm able to digest it because my colon is healing. I also don't keep to a strict, strict diet over time because I don't want to fear food. I've been there. I've been in that position where I'm scared to eat, and I don't want to do that. And I know I have to work on travel. Oh, by the way, if any of you guys have any tips on having you see and eating while traveling and you're big travelers or business travelers, please pass them on to me because... Not only do I want to do an episode, but I want to do a little test vacation where I go away for a couple nights, few nights in September, October, and I want to tell you how it goes for me because a lot of times, like, you know, when I go away for the day, I don't plan as well as I should. Of course, I know I should bring food, my own food, and blah, 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 but I'm trying to learn all of these tricks, and that's something that I also want to do an episode on down the line. All right, so let's get to these diets. Number one, the paleo diet. 
The paleo diet is a dietary plan based on foods similar to what might have been eaten during the Paleolithic era, which dates back from approximately 2.5 million to 10,000 years ago. A paleo diet typically includes lean meats, fish, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. Foods that in the past could be obtained by hunting and gathering. A paleo diet limits foods that became common when farming emerged about 10,000 years ago. These foods include dairy products, legumes, and grains. This is all information from the Mayo Clinic. However, Quartz.com and also the doctor I follow closely, Dr. John DeYard of LifeSpa.com, agree that based on a review of archaeological genetic and physiological evidence, the researchers found that plant-based carbohydrates and meat were both necessary and complementary dietary components in the evolution of humans. Examination of 3 million-year-old teeth and the plant life in the regions where our ancestors lived also signal that they were eating tubers and other starchy vegetables. Examples of tubers are potatoes and yams. The root vegetables many modern paleo dieters avoid likely played a key role in the original paleo diet for a number of reasons. Because these plants grow underground, they were likely a key source of nutrition for our gathering forebearers who could dig them up as needed, the researchers say, and probably hunt in much less than once. Thoughts. So, my feelings around the paleo diet are you really have to research this one because I didn't want to go into this because it would have taken way too long. But with paleo, you will hear that people with autoimmune have really been helped by paleo. But at the same time, you really have to look at the archaeological component of this because the modern components are saying, no, 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 they only ate the fish and the lean meat and blah, 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 but they're finding that that's actually not true. What we call a paleo diet today in modern terms is not actually what it was back in the day. So you really have to do your research. For me, I like a lot of fatty meat and fatty fish, so the lean doesn't work for me. Right now, I am not digesting nuts or seeds, so that doesn't work for me. But if this is something that you think resonates with you, definitely research. Number two, the keto diet. Healthline says the ketogenic diet is a very low-carb, high-fat diet that shares many similarities with the Atkins and low-carb diets. It involves drastically reducing carbohydrate intake and replacing it with fat. This reduction in carbs puts your body in a metabolic state called ketosis. When this happens, your body becomes incredibly efficient at burning fat for energy. It also turns fat into ketones in the liver, which can supply energy for the brain. Ketogenic diets can cause significant reductions in blood sugar and insulin levels. This, along with the increased ketones, has some health benefits. From what I have seen, and I have seen several people on the keto diet, and not friends of friends, but actual friends, and I have seen weight loss. I have seen that. It's been impressive. I have also seen people go off diabetes medicine because they subscribe to this diet and they follow it closely. Now, of course, that's not everyone. I'm not a health professional, but I thought that was an interesting part of the diet as well. And I have also seen one person with diverticulitis do keto and it worked incredibly well for this person. So it just depends, right? For me, the keto diet... I don't know how I feel about it because uh, I don't, I'm not looking to keep burning and losing weight. You know what I mean? I want to keep weight on. So uh, personally, I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I think 
it's definitely a good idea to look into and research and ask your health professional about if you have a problem with insulin or sugar and maybe something to at least explore. Number three, the carnivore diet. I have heard huge relief from those with IBD with the carnivore diet. So here it is. The Cleveland Clinic says with the carnivore diet, you eat meat or animal products for every meal. Unlike keto, which limits carbs to a certain number per day, the carnivore diet aims for zero carbs per day. You only eat meat, fish, eggs, and some animal products. You exclude all other food groups, including vegetables, fruits, grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. The carnivore diet boasts weight loss, improved mood, as well as blood sugar regulation. On Clubhouse, I've been in these rooms about gut health and IBD, and I will tell you this, I've heard a lot of people come onto stage, a good number, who are nice, normal people. They're not selling anything at all. They're just like you and me, and they've come onto stage, and they have said the carnivore diet has been an absolute God send for them, God send. And they have been really healed from IBD. Some of them have done it just as an elimination diet for a little while, while others stick to it permanently. There's a book called The Carnivore Diet by Dr. Sean Baker. Please note that his medical license was revoked in 2017. So before you buy the book and get really into it, you know, make sure you research him thoroughly. I, I'm not saying anything negative, but I'm just saying you need to make sure that you're getting advice from a solid source. And he may be an extremely solid source because if you look at that book on Amazon, it gets a lot of five stars. I think it's almost 3,000 reviews and it gets a lot of five stars. So you know, it's something to definitely examine. For me, the carnivore diet, I, I can't exclude all those fruits and vegetables and I, I can't do it. Um, I like beans. I like grains. I can't be that limiting and I don't crave meat enough. It's not the diet for me, but it's, you know, again, I've heard a lot of IBD relief, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's personal story. So if that resonates with you, check it out. Number four, the FODMAP diet. Oh, FODMAP. We all know FODMAP. FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides. I have no idea if I pronounced that right. Disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols, which are short-chain carbohydrates or sugars that the small intestine absorbs poorly. Some people experience digestive distress after eating them. Here's how the diet works. First, you stop eating certain foods, high FODMAP foods. Next, you slowly reintroduce them to see which ones are troublesome. Once you identify the foods that cause symptoms, you can avoid or limit them while enjoying everything else worry-free. We recommend following the elimination portion of the diet for only two to six weeks. This reduces your symptoms, and if you have SIBO, it can help decrease abnormally high levels of intestinal bacteria. Then every three days, you can add a high FODMAP food back into your diet one at a time to see if it causes any symptoms. If a particular high FODMAP food causes symptoms, then avoid this long term. To ease IBS and SIBO symptoms, it's essential to avoid high FODMAP foods that aggravate the gut, including dairy-based milk, yogurt, ice cream. It's always, man, it's always ice cream. <laughs> Wheat-based products such as cereal, bread, and crackers, beans, and lentils, some vegetables such as artichokes, asparagus, onions, and garlic, some fruits such as apples, cherries, pears, and peaches. Instead, base your meal around low FODMAP foods such as 
eggs and meat, certain cheeses such as brie, camembert, cheddar and feta, almond milk, grains like rice, quinoa, and oats, vegetables like eggplant, potatoes, tomatoes, cucumbers, and zucchini, fruits such as grapes, oranges, strawberries, blueberries, and pineapple. The low FODMAP diet is part of the therapy for those with IBS and SIBO. Research has found that it reduces symptoms in up to 86% of people. This is all from Johns Hopkins Medicine. Johns Hopkins also says do not attempt this diet if you're underweight. Now, this diet does not appeal to me. <laughs> um, but you know, it's funny because I kind of do it anyway. I'm like, oh, it doesn't appeal. I never do FODMAP, but I kind of do it anyway. So it's kind of funny. I think the elimination portion where it goes up to six weeks, if you are experiencing severe symptoms, I think that's doable. I really, really do. Anything after six weeks, I think to me is just absolutely not doable. And I say this as someone with no willpower. So for me, even doing it for a week is barely doable. But if you have more willpower than me, or if if you're just more motivated than I am, yeah, the six weeks can really work. The, I guess, no, not necessarily a negative thing, but what you have to know about this diet is you have to do it diligently. You can't stray or mess around or have bingy days or whatever. You have to do it diligently. So if you're going to do it, get that crap out of your system and then do it. I have a friend who has a lesser known IBD called cyclical vomiting syndrome. Hopefully she'll be on this podcast to talk about it. And she said FODMAP has been a godsend and she keeps to a strict FODMAP diet. So there you go. Number five, The AIP diet or autoimmune protocol diet, according to autoimmunewellness.com, in a nutshell, the autoimmune protocol calls for removing foods that are most likely to be problematic for people with autoimmune disease, grains, beans, legumes, dairy, eggs, nuts, seeds, nightshades, as well as food chemicals and additives. I think the last two are obvious. In addition, nutrient-dense foods are added to restore nutrient status, such as bone broth, high-quality meat, and wild-caught fish, as well as organ meats, fermented foods, and a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Over the course of the elimination phase, which can last from a month to a year, you take note of the changes you experience in your health. When it comes time to slowly and systematically reintroducing foods, you will be able to tell exactly which foods are holding you back and also be able to use this information to construct a diet that will best support your healing needs. Here's my issue. (laughs) Like, I think this all sounds great, except the length of it sounds impossible to me. A month to a year, a year, there's no effing way I'd be doing a year. Just it mentally, mm mm-mm. And that's the thing with this diet, and I talked about it in episode 17, where these two experts were saying they polled their patients, they observed their patients when they went on these long elimination diets, and their mental health decreased significantly. They started to suffer with depression. Um, Life was just not as fun for them. So that would be my concern for anyone who attempts this diet. I could see maybe a month, but to do it for a year... I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You know, if you're in bad shape, you should definitely research it. But man, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one. But, you know, the thing is, I pretty much follow this anyway. So <laughs> I may say something about one of these diets where I was like, there's no way. But I pretty much eat that way almost every day. Number six, the anti-inflammatory diet. 
health.com says this diet is similar to the much touted Mediterranean diet, which has been shown to lower the risk of chronic disease and extend lifespan as reported in a study published in the Journal of Current Opinion in Clinical Nutrition and Metabolic Care in November 2018. Another study published in June 2020 in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that an anti-inflammatory diet had positive effects on disease activity in people with rheumatoid arthritis. The focus of this diet is on anti-inflammatory foods like fish, olive oil, fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, and seeds. The Arthritis Foundation has a list of food groups from the Mediterranean, including reasons why each group may be able to help people with arthritis. For me... I think we all should be doing some sort of anti-inflammatory diet. I think that's obvious, right? If you're listening to this and you have chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or Hashimoto's or, you know, you're my regular listeners with UC and Crohn's and whatever IBD you have, I think we all know this. I don't need to, you know, (laughs) go into this uh, further is we all should be on anti-inflammatory diets. So, you know, it just depends which one is yours, right? Because this is what they call the anti-inflammatory diet, but yours could be the carnivore diet or paleo or something else. The takeaway for me after researching all of these diets are most of them have somewhat similar principles. I embody some of the principles of all of them. I feel like I look at all of these diets as I research and I said, oh yeah, I do that and I do that and I do that. If any of these six diets resonate with you, research If you choose to follow a diet, remember the key is anti-inflammatory, but only you know what foods are anti-inflammatory to you. If you want to do a hardcore elimination diet, and I've been told this by many people, and I think it's great advice, hire a professional. Go and do a group um, elimination where you have a health professional guiding you because This is hard to do on your own if it's hardcore elimination and if it's anything over, I mean, you know, ask a health professional, but to me, if it's anything over, you know, several days, you need to get involved with someone who can monitor you and help you along and especially help you with the mental health aspect. To make it simple, when people ask me, well, with you see, what do you eat? I say, just take anything out of your diet that's fun. <laughs> Anything that, that you're like, oh my God, I, I, you know, I'm going to go to the gas station and get some ice cream and I'm going to get some Choco Tacos. I've never had a Choco Taco. I'm going to go down to Starbucks and I'm going to get some pumpkin spice latte bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Like again, I don't eat or drink that way. But anything that's fun, you just take out. <laughs> that's, that's the simplest way to go. But you know, in all seriousness, you have to still allow some fun in your life and some fun foods for your mental health because we are humans. I remember I dated a biologist who talked about how when mammals, you know, when they're hunting and gathering and doing all that outside, they will gorge on berries in the forest. They will gorge on honey in the forest, anything sweet. So that's not only humans, but that's animals in general. I'm not saying you should gorge or go overboard, but you know, they want to have a little fun too. And so do we, especially when all your family, your spouse, your partner, your kids, everyone around you is eating fun food and you can't. So you have to make it fun in your way. Know that you're not going to be perfect on any diet. 
Most likely you are not going to keep up the diet 100%. So I use the 80-20 rule. If I look back on a week and I said, okay, you know what? I've kept 80% of my diet. I've done a good job. So let me think about the last couple of days because my husband's been gone and I've been cooking. Yeah, I've, I've definitely delved into that 20%, a little more than I should have with at-home baking. In fact, today you can hear my voice. It sounds, I have, uh, what's the word? I don't have acid reflux, but it's, it's frothy because I've eaten a little too much sugar today. Now, were they wholesome, gluten-free pancakes and the whole thing? And I baked them from scratch and all of that. Yes, but apparently I ate too many because now it's affecting my podcasting. So I would say with my husband gone, I've done more of a 70-30% of the diet, but that's how it is. And I have to do let's see, fecal testing and blood work in 10 days and I want everything to look really good. So I really have to make sure I'm on it and not doing, you know, anything crazy. And I know, you know, some days are harder than others because the reason I went a little bit off the rails is because I've been having a really tough few weeks and I decided to, you know, emotionally eat in the past couple of days and you know how that goes. And But this morning I did have scrambled eggs and I did have vegetables and tonight I'm having more vegetables and I'm having these, I don't know if anyone eats their Applegate beef hot dogs and I have a really good system reaction to them. So I'll eat them and put in some vegetables and have some tea and, you know, I I get back on it. So it's all good. No, no reason to punish yourself. It's fine. In this household... When we have that perfect poo, that perfect shit that just slides out of your body, perfectly formed, perfect color, and you look at that toilet bowl and you're like, God damn, I'm proud of myself. That is a green heart day. I wish all of you green heart days. <laughs>